0: Thank you, Missy. Great job. Take your Bibles, turn back, if you would, to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 40. What is the purpose of the church? A few years ago, I got a phone call in the middle of the week, about Wednesday, as I recall. A man asked me, says, "Uh, I would like for you to perform a wedding for me and my intended. I said, oh, and when would that be? He said, Thursday. Thursday as in tomorrow. Yes, yes. Well, I've been again to try to explain to him how I don't just do weddings, I don't just perform weddings, that uh, I feel like that God holds me accountable for those weddings that I perform, and therefore I like to make sure that at least uh, they have a modicum of... Uh, premarital counseling before they get married, and I tried to explain that to this uh, gentleman, and he said, well, so you're saying that if you don't counsel me and my fiancé that our our marriage won't last? I said, no, that's not what I said. What I said was that I feel like that it's necessary for people to have premarital counseling before they get married. He says, so you're saying that you won't do the wedding tomorrow. I said, well, yes, I am saying that. And then as my mother would have said, he gave me a cussing. And said, then what the hell are you there for? As in the purpose of the church is to perform weddings. Well, I'm not so sure that many church members have much... Better of an idea of why the church exists. There seems to be some confusion. When Arne, the church consultant, once surveyed members in about a thousand churches asking the question, Why does the church exist? 89%, almost 90% of the people who were questioned, said that the church's purpose was to take care of me and my family's needs. Only 11% said that the purpose of the church was to win the world to Christ. Stories told about a man by the name of Charles Paul Kahn, lived in Atlanta. He noticed in the yellow page listings of restaurants, an entry for a place called the Church of God Grill. He found that name Fascinating. And so he dialed the number. A man answered with a cheerful hello, Church of God Grill. He asked how the restaurant got that rather unusual name. And the, uh, the man at the other end said, Well, we, had, we started out with a little mission down here. And we started selling chicken dinners after church on Sunday to pay the expenses. Well, the people liked the chicken. And we did such a good business that eventually... We cut back on the church service, and after a while, we just closed down the church altogether and kept serving chicken dinners. And so that's how we got the name the Church of God Grill. You know, sometimes churches get to that point that they forget the purpose that they exist. In the closing verses of Acts chapter 2, we're given a summary of what the early church was like. Now, Don't forget, Peter's just preached his great Pentecostal sermon. It's hard for me to envision this, but 3,000 people were saved that day. Let's try to envision next Sunday morning. We have a huge crowd and 300 people get saved. Just 300, not 3,000. 300 people get saved. None of whom know anything about Christianity. Christianity. And so now it is our job to disciple them. Can you imagine the task ahead of us to disciple 300 brand new Christians? Well, imagine what it's like to disciple 3,000 brand new Christians. That's what this church faced. And this church is presented as a model. Now, it's not a perfect church. It had hypocrites in it, just like every church has since. It, it, but it knew what it should be doing, and it was about that purpose. It had experienced the life-changing power of Jesus, and it caught a vision of how that same power could change the lives of people they knew. And so they were going about that very task. Now, next Sunday is the Sunday that we've set aside as Fresh Start Sunday. We've taken all the guessing out of it for you. You have one in your bulletin this morning. You have at least one card in your bulletin this morning that you can take and invite someone to be your guest next Sunday. We want you to take that card, and if you need to get some more, there's some more in the foyer. We want you to intentionally go out to invite someone to be your guest. It can be a fresh start for you. It can be a fresh start for your guest. And it can be a fresh start for First Baptist Church to strategically refocus outward instead of inward. Now let's look at what made this church a world changer. In verse 40, you know that this is a Baptist sermon because he says, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, to be saved from this perverse generation. Then those that gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, And in the breaking of bread and in prayers and then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple breaking bread from house to house They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, Luke summarizes four distinguishing features in the church where the Holy Spirit reigned. And they are keys to spiritual growth and maturity in the church today. First of all, where the Spirit reigned, there was sound teaching. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. First of all, they were committed. We're told that the early believers continued steadfastly, verse 42. And in verse 46, it says they continued daily. Actually, it's the same word in both verses, and that word highlights the idea of commitment, perseverance, intensity, focus. But the mere fact that these people were committed does not set them apart from anybody else. Because people are committed to all kinds of things. They're committed to their jobs. They're committed to success. They're committed to making money. They're committed to developing the athletic ability of their children. People are committed to their families, to their hobbies, to their political ideologies. Simply being committed does not set us apart from being like other people. What set these apart, people apart was what they were committed to. And what they are committed to first, we are told, is that they are committed to Scripture. These new Christians, under the reign of the Holy Spirit, were hungry for God's word. God designed the church to be a place where his word is proclaimed and explained. In our society, that is very much about meeting the individual's felt needs. It can be difficult to really find solid biblical teaching, solid Bible teaching. The people of God need to hear God's word, not opinions on how to have a better life. Beware of any church where the message is not drawn from the Bible, and that means more than just reading a token scripture at the beginning of the message and never returning to it again. Christians should beware of churches where the people don't carry their Bibles, we would emphasize and desire for you to bring your Bible with you. Read your Bible. Don't be afraid to mark in your Bible. Each of us must make sure that sometimes, somewhere in our week, we are being taught the Word of God. A commitment to the Word of God is foundational to the growth and spiritual health of every church. The backbone of a healthy Christian life is good, sound teaching. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to your salvation. Where the Spirit reigns, a love for God's word reigns. Secondly, where the Spirit reigns, there was a sharing fellowship. It says in the second part of verse 42, and they continued steadfastly and in fellowship this kind of fellowship that's being described here did not exist before the coming of the holy spirit at pentecost this is the first use of the greek word quinea in the new testament every time this word is used it denotes some kind of sharing Either sharing something with someone or sharing in something with someone. The foundation of Christian sharing and fellowship is giving. Look at verse 42 and verse 45. And now all who believe were together and had all things in common. Or verse 44 and verse 45, I'm sorry. And 45 says, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They had all things in common, according to verse 42, but that does not mean, as some have imagined, that this was some kind of commune. The first Christian fellowship was not a commune, nor does the passage offer any support for such a notion. We can draw several conclusions from this, however. This is not some form of primitive communism or socialism. Because there is, this is given in the imperfect tense. When the verbs are translated selling and sharing, it indicates that the selling and the giving were occasional and were in, were in response to particular needs. They were not once and for all. Secondly, the early believers did not sell everything, as some have tried to say. Some still had houses As verse 46 says, the point is that the fellowship of the early church relied on a mutual generosity and sharing. Fellowship, as it was understood then, cost something. True fellowship still costs something. The truth is we have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give them something of ourselves. I like the story that's told about the Sunday school teacher who was talking to her children about missions. She had eight very eager 10-year-olds. She asked them, how many of you would give a million dollars to missions? They all screamed, yes, we would give a million dollars. She said, how many of you would give a thousand dollars? And they all shouted, yes, yes, we would give a thousand dollars. She said, how many of you would give a hundred dollars? And they all said, yes, we would give a hundred dollars. Then she said, how many of you would give a dollar for missionaries? And all of them except one little boy answered yes. But she noticed he had his hand in his pocket. She said, Johnny, why didn't you say yes when I asked if you would give a dollar to missions? He said, because I have a dollar What actually happened was that the personal property was sold as anyone had need, and it was given. Acts chapter 5 and verse 4 indicates that such giving was purely voluntary. In 2 Corinthians 8, 4, we see the Macedonian church begging for the privilege of participation in an offering. Where the Spirit reigns, God's people not only relate to his word, They relate to one another in fellowship and sharing. Finally, we need to note that in no other church in the book of Acts is this pattern of the selling of property repeated. While I do not see the Bible teaching that every Christian should sell his or her possessions, I do see that it is teaching that we all should have realized that everything that we have been given We have been given by God, and we are stewards of it. Many would be surprised at the link between giving and God's blessings. J.L. Kraft, the head of the Kraft Cheese Corporation, gave approximately 25% of his enormous income to Christian causes for many years. He made this statement. He said, the only investment I ever made... Which paid constantly increasing dividends is the money that I gave to the Lord. Pastors do their greatest service in leading men and women to understand the truth of God concerning stewardship of time and money. Many other examples are out there. John Winamaker of Philadelphia, from the beginning of his business career, said to have dedicated one tenth of his increase to the Lord. William Colgate, the great soap and perfume manufacturer, rose to fame and wealth while consistently paying a tithe of his earnings into the gospel treasury. This he he recognized as the minimum requirement designated by divine wisdom. And year by year, as God prospered his efforts, he multiplied his wealth. Colgate gladly gave far more than a tenth. The question would remain, what does our giving reveal about us? Where the Spirit reigned, there was sharing fellowship. Third, where the Spirit reigned, there was spontaneous worship. And they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And then verse 46 says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And verse 47 says, praising God. When the spirit reigns, the hearts of God's people move toward him and their relationship with him intensifies. Two words would help us to understand worship better. Those words are preparation and participation. If worship does not change us, it has not been worship. To stand before the Holy One of eternity, of eternity is to change. Worship begins with holy expectancy. It ends in holy obedience. Someone has very wisely said, though, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. In verse 47, they are described as having Glad and sincere hearts. The Greek word translated glad indicates exuberance, overflowing joy, a joy that simply cannot be expressed. We as Christians really have something to be excited about. We serve a Savior who loves us. We have a God who has forgiven us. We have a Lord who provides for our need, and we have a Savior who empowers us. And we think of all that he has done for us, how can we not be excited and joyful about that experience? The only way that I know for us not to be excited is either we do not know him or we have drifted away from him. And before we leave here today, you can make sure that neither of those situations is true of you. If you don't know him, you can come to know him today. And if you have drifted away from him, You can return to him today. At the same time, these early Christians were dignified and reverent in their worship. It was a balance. Worship that includes both fellowship with God and with each other. Worship that was both formal and informal. Worship that was both joyful and reverent. According to verse 43, the outcome of these things was that fear came upon every soul. The life of the early church was so genuine and so powerful that everyone, both inside and outside the church, kept feeling this sense of awe. They were not awestruck because of the church's buildings or because of the church's programs. Or any other reflection of human ability. But they were awestruck because of the supernatural character of its life. It says, And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God attended the preaching of the apostles with miracles to confirm that they really were indeed his messengers. But with the death of the last apostle, the apostolic age ended. And the completion of the canon of Scripture made it unnecessary for those confirming signs any longer. Today, we determine who speaks for God by looking in here. If what they say corresponds with what the Bible says, we know that they are true messengers of God. When the Spirit reigned, there was spontaneous worship and fourth and finally where the Spirit reigned, There was sincere evangelism. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When the Spirit of the Lord reigns, God's people relate to the world as they ought to. The church under the rule of the Holy Spirit is devoted to teaching and to fellowship and to worship. And evangelism flows out as a result. I was, read a story about a man who was accused of some wrongdoing. He was brought before a judge. When the judge asked if he had an attorney to represent him, the man said, no, I can't afford one. The judge replied, well, don't worry about that. I'll appoint a lawyer to represent you, and I will choose a really good one. The man answered. For uh, man thought about it for a few minutes, and then he answered and said, I appreciate that, judge, but if you really want to appoint someone to help me, what I need most is not a really good lawyer, but I need several really good witnesses. What the Lord wants is several witnesses. Really good witnesses. The word evangelism means to announce good news. To declare glad tidings of the gospel. It is never used to refer to a conference or a rally or a program. It's talking about hearing the gospel. God was at work through the people here in order to bring them to himself. The Christians were sharing with others and they were bringing people to faith in Christ. Perhaps we do not see more of God because we don't do what they were doing. We're not really sharing Jesus with anyone. The singer Keith Green said that the world was lost in darkness because the church was asleep in the light. The real problem for the church of today is that our culture is decidedly slanted against Christianity. When most of us were children, our culture not only accommodated but supported Christianity. Sundays were considered a day set aside for worship. There were actually laws in place that mandated the closing of businesses on Sunday. In some places, even the public schools did not give homework on Wednesdays, because they knew the churches had services on Wednesday evenings. Now the churches, now the schools even have ball games on Wednesday night and practices on Sunday afternoons. Twenty years ago, Christians wouldn't have stood for it, but now we go along like so many sheep people hop from church to church looking for that group which has the most to offer them and when it's not convenient <clears throat> they stay at home when they when the weather permits they go to the lake and i'm not opposed to good times but i'm saying that we are not marked by the consistency and the diligence of the early church In fact, we need little or no excuse to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need little prompting to do the things that are more immediately gratifying. The result is that the level of involvement by the Christian in the life of the church has declined. I have heard preachers make the joke that you have to give an announcement three weeks in a row for everyone to hear it because you have one third of the congregation on one week one third of the congregation on the second week and the third of the congregation on the third week and unfortunately that's way too true to be funny at any wonder we don't have to have understand why we have trouble getting any momentum going for the Christian to fail to participate in the life of the local church is inexcusable In fact, those who choose to isolate themselves are disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. If we want what we say that we want, then we have to be committed. Committed to what the Bible says that it takes to be a kind of church that we want to be. Let's pray. Father, we know our world offers us so many reasons and excuses to be away from the church. And it takes a great deal of commitment for a family to put aside some of those things in order to be uh, in the church and in their place and carrying out their part, being committed. Lord, I pray you'd help us to apply the truth in our own hearts looking for how you would have us to apply those truths. Father, we want to be the kind of Christians that we read about here in the book of Acts. We want to see that kind of enthusiasm in our own lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look at our own commitment level. I pray that you'd help us to see it as you see it. If there's one here this morning that has never made a commitment to you in the first place, never committed their life to you, they've never followed you by admitting that they're sinners and that they can't save themselves, by asking for forgiveness of their sins and by receiving what Jesus did on the cross for them, and Lord, I pray that you'd help them here this morning. For those of us who know we're saved, it may be that we need to look at ourselves and and what we're committed to this morning. We're the only one who really knows our heart other than you. The person sitting next to us doesn't know our heart, nor do we need to try to judge anyone else's heart. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see clearly where we are this morning and what changes need to be made. Lord, renew a right spirit in our hearts. Give us a joy and an exuberance that we might be able to share our faith with those around us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you